I want to start this morning by just reading uh, some of the texts that we're going to look at today in Isaiah 58, and I'd encourage you to turn your Bibles there to the book of Isaiah, um, and uh, just read from Isaiah 58, and mainly focusing on, on 11 to 14, but before I read the, uh, these few verses, I want to just give a little bit of, of context. Isaiah 58 is a text that, as a church, we have spent some time in and reflected on and had it uh, speak to us, challenge us about what does it mean to truly fast. And if you read the first part of that, that chapter, it talks about how uh, or what true fasting is and how God says through the prophet Isaiah, you know what, you think that you're fasting by going through the motions and putting on ashes and wearing sackcloth and the things that people did in those days when it came to fasting. He says, I'll tell you what true fasting is. It, it's helping those who are poor. It's giving food to the hungry. It's caring for those who are oppressed, bringing justice where there is injustice. He says that's what true fasting looks like. And then at the end of Isaiah 58, it, it talks about this, these verses of Sabbath. And I've, always, I've often wondered, okay, why are these verses of Sabbath there? They kind of seem off. Why is it suddenly talking about Sabbath rest in the middle of these incredible texts about what it means to live, uh, in many ways, to live sent, as we've been talking about in our missions festival, of, of living in such a way of seeing the needs of others and going out and reaching out to others. And, and as you read on it, it says what will happen. It says you will be refreshed, you will be renewed, there will be restoration that will happen. You'll be re- people that restore cities and rebuild walls. Then we come to verse 11. Let me read that as it makes that transition, then it goes into the text about Sabbath. It says, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. And then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. And then it makes this transition. Verse 13, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath. And speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. And then the Lord will be your delight and I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. So there's a, a number of principles that we can draw out of that text. The one that we'll focus on predominantly a little bit later and we'll come back to this about this whole idea about not going your own way or not following your own desires what does that mean and we'll we'll pick up on that in just a little bit so last week we talked about uh and introduced this series called remembering remembering your lives and this whole idea that we live uh, in a time when our lives often feel fragmented broken rushed uh, pulled in so many different directions and this longing and this desire for wholeness to be made complete again. And how uh, Jesus, in the text that we looked at last week in John chapter 5, as he came upon this man who was lame for 38 years, and he asked him this very pointed question. And this is what we focused on last week of, do you want to be well? Do you want to get well? I think a really important question as we think about Sabbath and all of its implications and some of the things that we'll get into today of of this question of do we want to be well and also what are the areas of our lives that are actually sick, that where we need to get well, where, where is it that we are not well and the role that Sabbath can play in that. And so today we want to get really practical and I promised that for you last week and, and to talk some about what does it look like to have a Sabbath today? What, what does that, what are the rules, restrictions, what are the 
boundaries, guidelines? How do we think about this today? And hopefully by the end of of today, we'll have uh, some better handles uh, on that. Uh, Last week, we gave you the opportunity to text in some questions, and thank you for those who did. We're going to hopefully have those addressed in the message today, but also we're going to have a little bit of time later in the service where you have a chance. uh, I'll respond to some more texts, and so maybe you want to do that even uh, during the service if you have specific questions related to things that we talk about here today. As I've been reading different authors and books and articles over the years about Sabbath, this is an area for me that has been fascinating, uh, frustrating, I've struggled with it. I bet you've struggled with it. How do you understand uh, how do we live this out? How do we find a Sabbath kind of pattern in our lives that does what was originally intended by God? And different authors have tried to boil it down in a variety of ways to summarize it in one or two words or a few phrases or sentences, uh, all of which you know, tend to leave me longing for just a little bit more because they never capture everything. It can't. There's more to it always. But These three words have been helpful for me, the three R's that part of what we're going to talk about here today of of rest, restoration, and reverence. And so these three R's, I think, give us uh, uh, some handles and give us an idea of some of the direction that Sabbath was intended for us, that there actually is rest, that when we uh, go through a week of work and, and we value work as this opportunity that God has given us to be co-creators and to produce things and to do things, but that there comes a time when we need to stop and that we also need to not only learn how to work hard, but also how to rest appropriately and that that's part of our rhythm of a daily rhythm and a weekly rhythm that there is rest that comes in. And then also that uh, the Sabbath invites us into this restoration piece. That goes back to the question that we asked last week of, do you want to get well? What are the areas that you need to get well? Where do you need to be restored Where does your life need to be remembered and put that back together again? Where it feels fragmented and frayed and where the life is draining out of you. Where are the relationships that need to be restored? Relationships with others around you. Relationships between you and God. What are the restoration works that need to happen in your life? And then also this idea of reverence. That that Sabbath is also about taking time to just stand in the awe and wonder of God again. And to see God in new ways, that there is a reverence that returns to us, that we experience on a regular weekly rhythm this intentionality of just worshiping God and seeing his glory and his goodness. And so these three R's, I think, can help us to understand right at the outset some of the things that that get at what Sabbath was intended for us. Mark Buchanan, in his book, uh, The Rest of God, he talks about the fact that there are two dominant uh, Sabbath killers that, that make Sabbath sort of this place that we read about and that we long for, but a place that we never really go to. And those two Sabbath killers typically are busyness and legalism. And, and busyness is one that we talked a lot about last week and the different ways that that can look in our lives. And I, I probably don't have to explain that one to you. I think we can all feel that one. We know what that feels like. We know what that experience is. And so busyness is something definitely that can be a Sabbath killer. But the other one is legalism. And that's one that we're going to talk a fair bit about today. This idea that uh, we are invited into Sabbath, but we have this tendency to make it about the rules and the laws and the things, which very much Jesus challenged and spoke against. And so if busyness doesn't kill our ability to enter in to this rest and restoration and reverence, then legalism definitely will. Eugene Peterson, 
He said this. He says, Sabbath is not a rule to be kept, but rather a freedom to enter into. It's not a rule to be kept, but rather a freedom to enter into. I want to encourage you to flip back to John chapter 5 and the story that we looked at last week. And I want to pick up on a couple of things related to this legalism piece that we see today. Um, Again, if you're here last week, we talked about this man who was lame for 38 years, who sat by this pool of Bethesda, who waited along with so many others over this, this colonnade, this area that was this covered area where people who were lame and sick with all kinds of things, they waited for the water to bubble up and then they would go into the water in this belief that this water would heal them. And Jesus comes along and he sees this man and has compassion on this man who's been lame for 38 years and asks him that question that we focused on last week, do you want to get well? And Jesus heals this man. He heals him physically. He heals him spiritually. He challenges him later on about the sin in his life and the need uh, for repentance. But what's amazing about this story is that there were others who were watching. You might call them the Sabbath police. They were these religious Jewish leaders of the day who watched out for those, and especially seemed to like to follow Jesus and see what he would do on the Sabbath and then challenge him on it, confront him on it. And so um, they would kind of go after him and challenge what he had said and what he had done, trying to catch Jesus in the act of breaking the Sabbath. But, but here's what legalism do, does, okay? And I want you to read in John chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 8 to 10. So Jesus says to this man, he says, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed, and he rolled up his sleeping mat, and he began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected, and they said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry the sleeping mat. Now, can you imagine any more ridiculous, absurd statement to say to a man who has just been healed? But I want you to get the picture. This, This is what... This is what legalism does when we bring it into things like Sabbath. Where this man who has been lame for so many years, who didn't know what it meant to walk or dance or run or do anything like this, and he is suddenly healed and he has this amazing joy. And I can only imagine what he wanted to do or was doing. I mean, did he just sort of quietly get up and walk? I doubt it. Probably dancing, probably running, probably jumping. I don't know what he was doing. And here, these Jewish leaders confront him and say, you know, no, 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 no. You cannot carry your mat on the Sabbath. But can you imagine the response of this man and what would be going around his head and in his heart related to that kind of absurdity? Because you see, when we, when we come to legalism with things like Sabbath, Logic seems to go out the window. And it just becomes these strict rules of things that we can do and can't do. And it becomes really bizarre. What's even more bizarre is if you keep reading in the text, these very same Jewish leaders later in the day, they started to plot a plan to kill Jesus. So now figure this out. You, you can't be healed or heal somebody on the Sabbath or carry a mat or you know, walk and because you know, that's kind of work. But you can actually plan to kill somebody on the Sabbath. That's okay. So you can plan murder, but you can't carry your mat. This is the logic of legalism. This is the logic when when life gets kind of boiled down to mere technicalities. And sometimes we like legalism because it's very unthinking. We actually don't have to think a lot about it. We just have people tell us what to do, what we can do and can't do. 
But legalism just drains the life out of things like the Sabbath and things that it was intended for. Because there's, no, there's little or no personal engagement in terms of what it means, but it's about these technicalities. But then here's the challenge. And this is one of the, the tensions that we have to deal with today. And the challenge that I want us to wrestle with today is the fact that we have to do something. If we are wanting to be people who walk in the Sabbath, then there has to be some intentionality of what we do with that. There will be some things that we either do or don't do in order to walk in that way, right? And so on the one hand, we don't want to have legalism and just all these rules of things that we do and don't do. But yet on the other hand, we have to have some kind of expression for it. I often refer to to that as the rhythm of Sabbath, that that it's this weekly rhythm that happens in your life. But, but what is that rhythm? What, what is it that you do or don't do as part of that rhythm? Because you see, Sabbath, first of all, is a change of attitude. It's a change of the way that we think. But then we also have to put in practices or gestures or actions that support that new way of thinking, of thinking that honor it. I mean, think of this example. So you're somebody who maybe has never been to church or hasn't been back to church for a long time and you're sitting at home and suddenly you get this conviction, however it happens, and you just sort of realize, you know what, I, I, I really need to start gathering together to worship corporately with others. So you say, I need, I need to start going and being with the church together again. That's a new attitude. It's a new way of thinking, right? But then imagine that you actually never act on it, like you never go. But hey, I've got a change of mind. I mean, I'm thinking differently I mean, it's absurd, right? Like, there's no pattern to support this new way of thinking. So we have, on the one hand, this legalism that we don't want in Sabbath, but yet on the other hand, we have to actually do something in order to support and honor that new way of thinking. Now, I want to be clear here. We need to understand that it is not the Sabbath that heals us. It's Jesus that heals us. It's the Lord of the Sabbath that heals us. And so it's not the patterns or the rituals or whatever you come away with, these tangible things that you go, okay, this is going to really now heal me, you know, these patterns that I'm going to put in place to keep the Sabbath in this modern era now. These aren't the things that heal you. There's no saving grace in these activities. But what they do is they place you in front of the one who can heal you. And that's why these patterns These intentionalities, these gestures that you put in place do matter. They are not the things that give life, but they bring you before the one who does give life. And so that's why we have to wrestle with this. What are the intentional things that we want to do and and not do in order to encounter the living God, the one who gives us true rest, the one who can truly restore our body, heart, and soul, forgive us of our sins, and make us clean and new again? And the one that we stand before in reverence and awe. What will be the patterns that will allow us to do that? We might call these disciplines or these rhythms or these uh, rituals or gestures, we might call them liturgy. Liturgy, if uh, you're familiar with that word, is is this time of of actually the work of a group together, typically in the area of, of worship. It's a public work accomplished by the community for the community as we worship together. So liturgy, even in its definition and expression, is really not about me as an individual. It's about us as a community. It's about how we come before God and we worship together. So for some of you who grew up in more of a liturgical tradition, 
you would know that there are times when you stand and times when you sit and times when you pray and times when you sing and times when you read and times and so on and so forth, right? And so for some, I know they, they go, well, you know what? It just, it feels dry and empty to me. For others, they're rediscovering those kinds of liturgical expressions and saying, you know what? It has deep meaning and it's so, so valuable to me and it helps me to encounter God. And the point is, is it's not about the liturgy. It's about encountering the living God and rediscovering this God who saves us, rescues us, renews us, restores us. And the truth is, is that we all actually practice liturgy of some kind or another. Every church does. Every one of us do. There are times when we stand and times when we sit and times when we put the sermon here and times when we sing and and so on. And all of these are attempts of helping us to encounter the living God. So really, we are all liturgical. We just have a different kind of liturgy, right? And so one of the things that happens and one of the things that is so challenging in a corporate worship setting is that we all come with our own little liturgies, which actually isn't the right definition because liturgy is not individual, it's communal. But allow me some freedom in that so that we, we come with our own little liturgies and we have our own ways that we encounter God that are so meaningful. And it might be certain songs that we sing or ways that we pray or standing when we do this or raising our hands or not raising our hands or doing whatever. We all have our ways that, of liturgy that is so important. But part of why we gather is because we give up those things and we try to come together to do liturgy in community. And that's why the, the worship pastor has the hardest job in the church. To take all of everybody's little liturgies and try to make it make sense so that everybody feels that they have encountered God through a corporate collective liturgy that we try to do together. But my point is, is that we have to try to do something. We have to have some expression of liturgy that allows us to experience God in one way. And so we need to move from legalism to liturgy. We need to move from rigid rules of Sabbath keeping to a freedom and a liturgy that makes sense and gives life and helps us to encounter God. And we do that individually And we do that corporately. But it's a challenge. And so I want us to understand that we have to live in this tension of what it means to do that, to be uh, intentional and have practices without actually being rigid on what those rules are. And some of you say, well, that kind of sounds fuzzy to me. Yeah? It's like having a conversation with uh, some of our kids and, and one of our daughters just the other day wrestling with a decision Really important decision in her life. And, and Lisa and I saying, you know what? We were talking through the pros and cons, and in the end just saying, well, you have to decide. No, just tell me what to do. Because then they can blame us. And it's like, no, you need to decide. But that's what it's like sometimes even when it comes to a liturgy of Sabbath. We, we just want people to tell us what to do. Like, just tell me that this is what I can do, and this is what I can't do. Which is why going back to... The religious leaders in Jesus' time, they had all these rules because it was simple. You just make more rules, and then you know. But as we come to the modern era, and as we look in the New Testament and the freedom that comes there, we recognize that, no, there is freedom there, but now we have to wrestle with what is it that actually gives life? What is it that restores my soul? What is it that gives me rest? What is it that helps me to see the reverence and awe and wonder of God? And the challenge is, is that it's different for you than it is for me. 
And so we have to figure this out and wrestle through these questions of, of how it is that we will walk in a way that isn't legalism, but at the same time has actual expressions of weekly rhythms in our lives. This intentional awareness of stopping and being fully present in front of the living God. Let's go back to our Isaiah 58 text, and I want to just focus on one aspect of this that uh, might be helpful for us in this freedom that we have and how we create a liturgy about our Sabbath. Isaiah 58, and mainly just focusing on verse 13, that verse there, it says, keep the Sabbath day holy, but don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath. It says, enjoy the Sabbath. And speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything that you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. In other translations it says, don't go your own way. It says, don't go your own way. Don't follow your own desires. Don't just do what you want to do, but go in a different direction. But I think that's one of those things that we also have to wrestle with on Sabbath. And why, part of what it was originally intended for is it's a day to go in a different direction. It's a day that we don't go just our own way. And we struggle with that because sometimes we think, well, the Sabbath is just about us and what I need. And yet this text reminds us, no, 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 it's not just about you. The Sabbath is about you, but it's not only about you. It is also about your relationship with God. It is also about your relationship in community. It is also about others. And we need these rhythms that we experience in deep, meaningful ways that help us to encounter the living God. If you uh, flip over to uh, Hebrews 10, and I want to look at just Hebrews 10, verse uh, 1, the beginning part of verse 1. In this book, it talks about this relationship that we have with the Old Testament and how we understand it in the New Testament. And it simply says this, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. So the old system under the law of Moses, this the Ten Commandments that we see and we read about, of which the Sabbath-keeping was a part, these are only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. So in other words, they are a piece of a bigger whole. They're, something more is there that we need. And in the New Testament, we, we see sort of this irritating silence that is there of how is it that we are to live out this Sabbath description? You have to remember the people of Israel were ones who came out of generations and generations of slavery, of living with all of their days kind of set out for them. And every moment was dictated to them about what they would do and how they would eat and act and think and everything. And now they are a people entering into God's freedom. And yet God puts these rules in place. But now in the New Testament, as we see in Hebrews 10, that that these were only a preview of what God had originally intended and that is so important for us to understand as all the Ten Commandments are. They are this, this beginning point, this threshold of what God originally intended. So in the Old Testament, we see the Ten Commandments of, well, you should not steal. Thou shalt not steal. And yet as you look in the New Testament, it goes so much beyond that. It's not about just not stealing, but what does it mean to live a life of generosity? And actually trusting God with all that you have and recognizing that everything that you have belongs to him. And that we would not only live a life where we don't steal, but that we actually live a generous life. And Jesus says, well, you have heard it said that, you know, you should take an eye for an eye. And he says, but I say to you in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, and he heightens it to a whole new level. He 
talks about forgiving another and about grace for other people. And he says, you know, uh, uh, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. And I say to you, uh, if you even look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. And this whole idea that we need the grace of God in our lives, but that this New Testament takes it to a whole nother level because of the grace of God and what Christ has done. But in this Isaiah 58 passage, again, we see that one of the ways that we can enter into this is how do we go in a new direction? How do we go in a different way? As we've talked about in our missions festival, this idea of what it means to live sent, it strikes me that even this text in Isaiah 58, which uh, speaks so much about what it means to live sent in our world, that you can't do that unless you have a a rhythm of Sabbath in your life. That you actually have a a way that you build margin into your life on a weekly basis in some way that allows for inconvenience of others or to live sacrificially for others, for the sake of others, to serve others. So I think these two go so hand in hand. To take time to actually be still and be in the presence of God, but then also to go in another direction. And again, this idea that the Sabbath has a personal side, but also a communal side. That it is about you, but it's not only about you. And so how will you go in another direction on the Sabbath? How will you have a weekly rhythm of of doing that? Let me give you some examples of what it might mean. You go in another direction from, from ceasing to do what is necessary to doing what gives you life. Maybe your week is, is pouring out for others and all week long that you pour out for others and you serve and serve and serve and you just give yourself that this Sabbath would be a day of renewal for you of actually having it focus somewhat on you. Or maybe your week is always about you. Somebody wrote men in there. That wasn't in my notes. Or, or maybe your week is always about you. Maybe on this Sabbath day it needs to be going in another direction and now it's, it's actually making this day about others. That's what going in another direction will look like for you because of the rest of what your week looks like. If you continually drive, maybe it's a time when you just need to walk. If you're always connected through electronics and technology, maybe it's a day to disconnect and close it down and shut it off. If you typically work with your hands, maybe it's a day to use your creativity and your mind and to work differently and to create differently. If all of your week is spent working with your mind and, and, and doing things that way, maybe it's a day to work with your hands and build something. If you normally eat on the run and are always eating fast food, maybe it's a day that you actually stop, prepare a meal, and enjoy it with family. If it's a typical week is where you're always uh, eating together as a family, it's something that you always do, maybe it's a day that you actually invite others in and practice hospitality. If it's a day that you read and you pray on your own and you have a devotional life that is intimate with God, but you do it on your, on your own, that maybe it is a day or a time when you actually come together in community and worship and pray together with others. If your week is about rush and hurry and noise, maybe it's a day or a time where you actually have stillness and silence. If all you do is study and do homework all week long, maybe it's a day that you just stop and take a break. Again, these patterns are not the things that make us well. But it is regularly placing ourselves in God's path, in God's presence, in stillness and in silence to rest, to do the restoration work that is needed in our relationships, and to stand or sit in awe and in reverence of God and to worship him. I think I've shared the story before where we live, Lisa and I often go on a three-kilometer loop we go around this loop, and it's out in the country there. And uh, 
we always go typically in the same direction. And every once in a while, we go in the other direction. It's the exact same path, but we're just going in a different direction. And it's amazing how it looks so different. This is like different land, and you notice different things. And so this text, this, this teaching I see in Isaiah 58 that says, you know what? Don't make it only about your own interests. Go in another direction. That the Sabbath might be some of that. It gives us a clue of how we might encounter God differently and in a new way. Paying attention. So in summary, do you want to get well? The question that we talked about last week. And where is it that we actually need to get well? Sabbath gives us opportunity to reflect on that. I know for many people, they don't spend a lot of time in reflection. But to actually do that deep work and to allow God to do that deep work of asking those questions of where we need to get well. Secondly, that we need to move from legalism to liturgy, from just simply rules and restrictions and having somebody else tell you what you can and cannot do in the Sabbath, to actually having a liturgy that brings life, that is a liturgy of putting you before God and in the presence of God individually and together with others that makes sense and allows you to rest, to be restored to stand or sit in reverence of God. That we realize that Sabbath is about you, but it's not only about you. It's about me, but it's not only about me. And that we would learn what it means to not just go in our own desires and go in our own way, but go in a different direction on a regular weekly basis that we might encounter God again. I want to invite the worship team if they would come up and they're going to lead us some songs that will guide us in some response to this. But as they do, I want to also just give you a challenge. I want to give you a challenge for this upcoming season known as Lent. The Lenten season uh, that begins here in middle of February and goes until Easter. It's a preparation time for Easter. And, and here's my, my challenge to you. Oftentimes, and I know for lots of people, if you have observed Lent in one way, often we give up something for Lent. Uh, We'll give up chocolate, or we'll give up coffee, or we'll give up whatever. And it's this time of intentionality of giving up as a time of prayer. Not, Not that that's a bad thing, but here's my challenge for you this Lent season. That you would take these weeks and that you would actually... Uh, experiment and delight in and figure out a rhythm of Sabbath that works for you. That you would just try different things. And and the way I liken it, uh, one one analogy that works for me, maybe it works for you, it's sort of like fad diets and regular exercise. You know, when we go into Lent season and we we give up something, it's sort of like the fad diet, you know, where you go, I'm going to lose some weight and and so I'm just not going to eat anything but carrots and water, you know. I'm giving up carbohydrates, or it's all carbohydrates, or I'm giving up protein, or no, I'm only going to eat protein, or whatever the case may be. And so we, we go on to these things, and we, we lose that weight, and it's wonderful. I lost 20 pounds. And then I always ask, well, yeah, tell me where you are a year from now, because it's not sustainable. You can't live there. I think the Sabbath is like that. Just like in weight loss or getting in shape, you know what actually works? It's been proven throughout all the history. Get regular sleep, eat a balanced, healthy diet, and regular exercise. There you go. That was worth the price of mission right there. And I think Sabbath is like that. It's like saying, you know what? It's not about binge whatevering of spiritual things. It's about having a weekly rhythm of regular sleep, a healthy diet, and regular exercise. And the Sabbath is finding something that works for you that you can sustain for a lifetime. That's my challenge for you during this Lent, that you would 
Look for those things. Delight in those things. Experiment with those things. Have God speak to you. Talk to others. Wrestle through what this rhythm of Sabbath will look like for you so that you can find rest, restoration, and reverence before God. In two weeks from today, on March 1st, we're going to conclude uh, this series. And um, I'm asking you, in these next couple of weeks, not only can you text questions today, but in these next couple of weeks, I would like to hear from you. Send me an email. Send me uh, a response of what is it that you found or discovered or have changed during this season that you are experimenting with uh, for your Sabbath, that you might find life and life to the full in Jesus Christ. And so that's my encouragement uh, for you today. Would you stand with me as I conclude in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you invite us to rest, that you have uh, called us to work hard, but to have a rhythm of rest that is intentional and for a bigger purpose than just restoring our bodies, but restoring our souls, of drawing us near to you and placing ourselves in front of the one who saves us that we would find rituals or liturgies of Sabbath that would be renewing and restoring and would allow us to walk in reverence and awe of who you are and rediscover your wonder. I pray, Lord, that we would find those ways, that we would not be tied to legalism, but that we would find a liturgy that gives life. Lord, would you help us in this? Because, Lord, as you change us and transform us, we encounter all the work that you want to do in us of the cross and we thank you for that lord jesus but god would you do the deep work that is needed to be done in us we pray in jesus name amen